الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين استفى أما بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس أنتم الفقراء إن الله سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم throughout history different people have had different definitions and understandings of what it means to be human broadly speaking you can put all of these different definitions and concepts of humanity into two categories. What is our identity as a human being? All of the answers that have been given throughout history can all go into two categories. Number one category is what human beings thought it meant to be human. There may be a whole range of answers there, but the source of that answer will all be what human beings themselves thought it means to be human. Second category, and there's no range over there. There's one single answer over there. And that is what Allah SWT thinks it means to be a human being. So there's our own understanding and concept of humanity. And then there's Allah SWT's understanding of humanity. So sometimes in lectures we explain it this way. That there's Quranic humanism on the one hand. And there are many other types of humanisms on the other. The most current vogue is secular humanism. Secular humanism is radically different from Quranic humanism. Radically different from Quranic humanism. Simply having the similarity of morals, commonality and morality is not enough to bridge the incredible gulf of spirituality between secular humanism and Quranic humanism. The fact that both humanisms teach a person to be a good neighbor, a good citizen, a good father, a good mother, etc., those are very interesting things to have in common. But there's a vast difference between the man-made, human-created concept of secular humanism and the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed concept of humanism. If we want to know what is the identity of a human being in our deen, in Quran, we simply have to look at those verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about insan, nas, and in English you would call it this way, insan means humanity, and nas means people. So if we go through a few verses like that, then we'll understand what is the concept of Quranic humanism. First word, Allah subhanahu wa said in Quran, Ya ayuhan nas antumul fuqara'u ilallah. That O oh people, each and every single one of you, each and every single one of you, Antumul Fuqara, you are ultimately, entirely, absolutely needy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Faqir illallah, faqirullah. So this concept of faqr means ihtiyaj, means need. To be human is to need Allah. This is the asl. This is the crux of Quranic humanism. To be human is to need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be truly human is to truly need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be ultimately human is to ultimately need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be perfectly human is to perfectly need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That's why I feel that secular humanism out of all of the man-made ideas of humanity is the one that is absolutely the opposite of Islam. Because secular humanism is the name of that philosophy that teaches that in order to be a good human being, a noble human being, a wonderful human being, you do not need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all. That's what secular humanism teaches. Now, they may not couch it in such bold words, but you have to flush out ideas and concepts. That's what a university is supposed to train you to do. You're not supposed to be impressed just by formulations and expressions. You're supposed to be analytical. You're supposed to go into the heart of the matter. You're supposed to understand the crux of the concept. And that's what secular humanism teaches. You don't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar. That's completely in contradiction to Qur'an. And Allah Ta'ala is not just addressing believers. Ya ayyuhannas, O people, antum, each and every single one of you. Ya ayyuhannas, antumul fuqara'u ilallah. Each and every one of you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that we've carved out that space for us, for us to realize that we can't just take a secular humanist approach to life and understanding identity. Now let us... For the rest of the discussion, just take our guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah on what is our identity as a human being. And in fact, even before I go to the attributes of Iman, let us even assess ourselves against this core attribute of Insan. How many of us are even human in that sense? Fine, we may be nominally believers, we're technically mu'mineen. How many of us feel that need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? First, we have to be Insan. Then comes becoming insan and mu'min to become a believing human being. So this is a very important part of our identity that we have to revive, we have to instill, we have to remind, we have to refresh, we have to palpably feel this need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what happens is often that when a person is alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, a person is educated, a person is comfortable in socioeconomic status, they don't feel that need. They don't view themselves that they need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They view Allah ta'ala as an extra. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as another part of their life. They don't feel need. And Allah ta'ala used a very beautiful word here, faqir. Faqir is also used in Arabic language to talk about a human being who is in absolute poverty. What you would call sub-poverty level. Absolutely poverty stricken. Now in this country you don't have people like that, but if you travel in the Muslim world, some parts of the Muslim world you will find people like that. If any of you have ever traveled and seen a fakir of this world, and if they came to you, I'm not talking about a professional beggar, I'm talking about a really genuinely destitute, needy, poor person. And when they come to you, and they ask for you for help, every drop of them is dripping that they're fakir. The way they look at you, they look at you with a look of want, a look of fakir, a look of need. They look with you, they walk with a state of need. They act with a state of need. Their very demeanor is exuding this need. That's what it means to be fakir. Just like that extremely poor, and the tragic situation of the extremely poor and destitute person comes in a state of need, just like that an insan, a human being, is in utter and dire need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya ayyuhannas antumul fuqara'u illallah. And me and you don't have that. 
We don't walk like a fakir. We don't talk like a fakir. We don't feel that need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we had that need, there's no way you could skip fajr. There's no way you could miss a prayer. There's no way you could not have sabr. There's no way you can miss the adab and akhlaq in your life of Sayyidina Rasulullah because it's a need. Allah using this word, language is meaning. That it's a need, your primary, primal, primordial, asal, essential, critical need is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not possible for a person to live without their needs. You can live without your wants, you can't live without your need. So to be human is to need Allah. And the believers who are supposed to be the forefront of humanity, the believers who are supposed to be the exemplars of humanity, that means the mu'mineen are those insan who need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the most. We need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't mean we wait till some difficulty comes on us, some test, trial, tribulation comes on us, some worry comes on us, and then we feel the need. No. This need has nothing to do with what's going on in your life. You can be living the most happy life, the most blessed life, the most content life, and you still feel desperate need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not just that we need His help when we're in difficulty. No, we need Him. We need Him purely. We need Him purely for who He is. We need Him. We can't live without Him. We can't conceive of a day without His worship. We can't conceive of a life without His remembrance. We can't even conceive of an act or activity that is empty of something that links us to Him. Anything and everything in this world that can serve as a connector for, for, to, for us to Him, that is worthwhile. And anything in this world that has no connection to Him whatsoever, that cannot connect us to Him whatsoever, we have no need of that, we're not interested in that. Even earning this world, kasbi halal, that also has to be connected to Him. Through zikr, through worship, through staying within the halal, through being within lawful means, and then through using whatever extra income you have for the khidmah, for service, for charity, for helping others. Unless a person, the person doesn't think like that, right? And that's the problem with a lot of the university educated youth. They don't think like that. They're just in the university to get a degree, to get a CV, to get a job, to make money, to drive a nice car, to live in a nice house. That concept of khidmah, which is why Allah Ta'ala put us in this world. If Allah Ta'ala gives anyone any bounties and blessings in this world, any ni'mah, any success, any achievement, any accomplishment in the world, it's only to be used in His worship and obedience and for the service. Yes, you can live a reasonably comfortable life yourself. But that's a side thing. That's not the maqsad. That's not the purpose. That's not the intention. Because we are faqir. Our needs can never be fulfilled in this world. By this world. Our needs can only be fulfilled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya ayuhan nas antumul fuqara'u illallah. This is our identity. So if we want to restore ourselves to our true Quranic identity, we have to feel a need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you'd be amazed, some people, they talk like that. They say, oh, I don't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't need to pray. They actually say the exact words. <laughs> they actually say the exact words that are at the antithesis to Quran. I don't feel the need to pray. If that's your feeling, you need to get help. This is like a spiritual cancer. This is a critical, you're in critical condition. You have lost your humanity. It's not even imam. You're losing your humanity if you don't feel the need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah ta'ala defines humanity in Quran that human beings need Allah. Ya ayyuhan nas antumul fuqara'u illallah. No exceptions. No exclusions. There is no glorified level of life. There is no level of attainment, accomplishment, education. There is nothing that can put a person beyond needing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that's our first identity. We have to feel the need. Increase the need. 
make Allah Ta'ala the thing that you need most in the world. And that's a beautiful life. <laughs> don't think this is some terrible life. This is some hard life. This isn't some really philosophically enlightening life. This is the most enlightened thing. There can be nothing more enlightening than wahi. Wahi is nur. Akal is not nur. The example of akal is like eyes. But no matter how sharp your vision is, you will never be able to see anything unless there's light. Either you will need sunlight or you will need the bulb. You cannot see anything if there's no light. Akal is the eyes, wahi. The Qur'an al-Kareem and the Sunnah of the Biyakareem is the nur, is the light. Our akal was given to us to see in light of the Qur'an and Sunnah. That's why Allah Ta'ala says in Qur'an, لَهُمْ قُلُوبًا يَعْقَلُونَ بِهَا That if only they had hearts, kulub, spiritual hearts, يَعْقَلُونَ بِهَا That they understood, not through this, يَعْقَلُونَ بِهَا That they understood through their hearts, their hearts that were illuminated and informed by the wahi of Qur'an and the sunnah of Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa This is our identity. This world is not our identity. This is our identity. We have been created in a state of need and dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How to increase this need? This is the next aspect Allah ta'ala gives in the Qur'an about humanity. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ jin. وَمَا خَلَقْتُمْ جِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah says we have not created the jinn and ins. Ins is abbreviated for insan. We have not created humanity. Except for what reason? إِلَّا I mean the Arabic language is so powerful here. There is no purpose whatsoever. إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Except for the slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya'budun here has two things in it. Ibadah and ubudiyah. Doesn't mean that we're only supposed to spend our whole life in worship, or our whole life in salah, or our whole life in sadza. That's not the thing, Quran. Ubudiyah. Ubudiyah means subordination, slavehood, submission to Allah. Part of that is ibadah, as Allah Ta'ala teaches us to do. And the rest of the time that we're outside ibadah, studying in the world, working in the world, earning in the world, we have to do it in a state of ubudiyya. It's a hal. It's a state of being. It's a feeling of heart. Ubudiyya means submission to Allah Ta'ala. But I'm a slave. It's my identity. And again, look at the language. Allah Ta'ala picked the word abd, which means slave. The word abd in Arabic means slave. Now there is not slavery anymore in this world. But if you were to see a slave and their master, if we could go back in history, you would see that the reason Allah picked this word is that a slave is completely subordinate to their master. Not just when the master is around. Not just when the master is telling. Even when they're off. Even if they're quote-unquote free time. Even if they're done with the duties for today. The identity of slavehood remains with them overnight. Remains with them on the weekend. It defines who they are. This is what Allah Ta'ala is saying. إِلَّا لَيَعْبُدُونَ Not just for worship. But I have not created humanity except that their slavehood to me should define to them who and what they are for every second of their life. This is the Quranic concept of human being. Secular humanism teaches you liberty. John Stuart Mill's thesis on liberty. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It teaches that man is essentially free. Quranic humanism, no. Man is essentially, ultimately a slave. But a slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that slavehood is more liberating than any concept of freedom. That slavehood is more uplifting than any concept of freedom because it's slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is using words. 
Fakir, Abd. That's why the great Muslims in history, they used to refer to themselves like this. They used to sign letters, they say, Al-Abd al-Fakir. Even Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. In the Tashahud we say in Salah, what do we say? Ashadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Even first and foremost, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, that first and foremost, I'm the Abd, I'm the slave of Allah subhanahu wa and I'm the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa So that's part of his sunnah. Now obviously none of us can to ever become a prophet, but every one of us has to become an Abd the way he was an Abd. That's his sunnah. That's the sunnah for us. That's the target. That you have for you in the life of the Prophet a noble example. Do we walk around like slaves? Do we act like slaves? Do we conceive ourselves as slaves? If we were a slave, there's no way you can... What part of slavery? What slave can disobey their master? It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. Yes, people may be slaves to the corporate world. That might happen. Today a person gets a corporate job, they'll do whatever their boss tells them. It's just not possible. You can't even fathom non-compliance in the workplace. If when you're hired, you get 10 a list of duties and there are 10 things. If you tell your boss, okay, I'll do 9 of them. I'm not going to do the 10th one. He says, you're fired. Right there and then. It's instant. It's instant. You say, no, I'm 90%. You're fired instantly. So what type of attitude is that? You're my employee. You don't have a choice. You have to do all 10 of the duties. And people do that. People, when they work, they do whatever their boss tells them. But they content themselves with 90% Islam, 80% Islam, 70% Islam. You don't think Allah Ta'ala is a greater Malik? He's not a greater master than your employer at work? I was a professor for six years in university. My students have to do what I tell them. I said, these are the required readings, these are the required assignments, you have to write this paper, this thesis, this exam. If a student comes to me and says, okay, you know, I'll come to the classes, I'll take the midterm, but I'm not going to write the term paper. I say, fine, you get an F. There's no questions asked. It's finished. You'll get an F. That's what it means, a student-professor relationship. But somehow we think with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we are Abd and He is Malik, Malik Yawmiddin, Liman al-Malk al-Yawm, He is the real Malik, so now we think that no, with Him it's okay. We can do some of the things some of the time. We don't have to do all of the things all of the time. Allah Akbar. You work in a company for 10 years. 10 years you give them. In the 11th year you come up with this. They're okay, I'm no longer going to do all my duties. They'll fire you right there. <laughs> they won't look at the 10 years. They'll look at nothing. The second you bring to them voluntary, willful, non-compliance, you're gone. A university has rules and regulations. If you say, okay, you know, you have these rules and regulations, student handbook, I'm not going to follow paragraph 3, article 2. It's okay, there's the door. <laughs> you're gone. Non-compliance will not be tolerated. A country makes laws. If you show up in some of you, if you're immigrants, and you try to get Norwegian citizenship, and you tell them that day, that okay, in your whole constitution, I believe in everything except this one clause, just one. Just one sentence, I don't believe in it. I'm not going to comply with this one sentence. Just say you're gone, we'll send you right back to your home country, it's finished. So if non-compliance is not there under the law, under the state, in the corporation, in the university, what in the world is the matter with us that we think we can do non-compliance with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah Akbar Kabir. We can miss fajr, no problem. We can not control our gaze, no problem. We don't have haya, no problem. We don't have sabr, no problem. We don't do shukr for the no problem. We don't even pay our zakat on time. Allah. Don't even pay the zakat. The wealthy Muslims of the world don't pay their zakat. If the wealthy Muslims of the world pay their zakat, there will be no poverty left in the Muslim world. Allah tells me a perfect system. 
Allahu Akbar. Non-compliance, non-compliance, non-compliance. Or when it comes to dunya, compliance, 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 compliance. It means we're not Abdullah, we're Abd of something else, we're not Abdullah. And Allah is saying, you haven't been created, you have no purpose of being. That you think, no, no, my purpose in life is this, I have a mission, I bind to the corporate vision, corporate mission, I bind to some national vision. I have not created, Allah is saying in the Quran, I have not created you for any reason whatsoever. Except to, you fail to adopt slavery to me. Except for ubudiyya. This is a very powerful concept. This is Quranic humanism. Again, this is not addressed to humanity, believers. I didn't create the believers except, no. Ins. I have not created humanity itself. Anas, people, ins. Humanity itself has not been gifted creation except for the ubudiyya to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an extremely powerful identity. To be the fakir of Allah ta'ala, to be the abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today, if I was to ask a person, you know, write down what you are. So you may write Norwegian, male, father, student, professor. You keep going. I said, keep going. Turn the page. You'll keep going. You'll keep going. You may go back to origins. Okay, Pakistani origins, Somali descent, this, that. You keep going. You won't even write the word fakir. You don't even realize it's not even on our horizon. It's not even in our consciousness. First thing is, I'm desperately needy of Allah Ta'ala. I'm a fakir. I'm the slave of Allah Ta'ala. I'm an abd. This is first and this is what I am. It's not how we think, it's not how we carry ourselves, it's not in our consciousness, it's barely in our subconsciousness. Even when we're inside ibadah, the vast majority of Muslims who pray, you know, actually, it's debatable. Some people even suggest the majority of Muslims on earth don't even pray salah. Allah, I don't know what the statistics are. But I can tell you from my experience, people who come to learn from us, the majority of people who pray Salah, the majority of them say, I don't feel anything in my prayer. So I ask them, okay, do you, i give you an example of one feeling. Do you at least feel the feeling of slavehood? I mean, you're in sajda, right? You're doing sujood, you're prostrated. Uh, physically even, a person would think that, okay, yes, they would say, you would think that they would respond to me and say, yes, okay, that's true. When I'm in sajda at that moment, I really feel ubudiyat Allah Ta'ala, I feel I'm submitting to Allah Ta'ala, I feel like I've thrown myself, like at the arsh or kursi or something, they would say. They say, no, they, they reply and say, no, I don't feel anything in my sajda either. Allahu Akbar Kamira. Now, if they can't feel ubudiyah in salah, if they can't feel ubudiyah in sajda, then do you think they're feeling ubudiyah outside of salah? <laughs> Is, are they feeling slave with Allah Ta'ala outside of worship? This is our human identity. To be human is to worship Allah. To be human is to submit to Allah. To be human is to so, be so aware of that submission that it's our primary identity. And again, secular humanism, the complete opposite, complete opposite tells you to be a good person, you don't need to worship. No need for ibadah. And to be a good person, you don't have to follow rules called ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't have to follow any rules. You just do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. As long as you don't hurt anyone else, you can do whatever you want. Islam, as long as you don't hurt yourself spiritually, you don't hurt your slave, abd, malik relationship with Allah you can do whatever you want. It's a difference. It's a very different understanding. 
It's a very different understanding. To be the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means everything Allah ta'ala likes us to do to like that. It's not just about commandments, right? Again, who would take that attitude in life in any worldly relationship? That I only do something if my parents absolutely tell me I must do it for them. I say, what kind of child are you? You're supposed to preempt, you're supposed to think what your parents want, what makes them happy, you do whatever is pleasing to them. You do whatever is pleasing to them. This concept of farad only Islam, this is a big deception. Right? That I'm only going to do something if it's fard. I'm only going to do something if it's mandatory. And if I found it if something is sunnah, or something is nafil, mandu, mustahab, I won't do it. It's not balance. Why? Because in our dunya, we don't have that attitude. Let me give an example. What's the fard amount of education? What's fard? Only to know enough so that you can survive in this world. I think everybody who's doing a university degree is doing nafil education. What's the fard type of house to live in? One room. There are Muslim families. There are millions. Not that millions of Muslim families whose entire family lives in one room. That's fard. If you want to say I'm minimalist. I just do what's absolutely required. MashaAllah. Allah Ta'ala bless us. It's fine. If it's in halal, it should be like that. And we live beyond one room. What's the fard amount of eating? It's to eat enough so that you don't die of hunger. All of us eat more than that. What's the fard amount of drinking? To drink enough water so you don't die of thirst. We all drink more than that. What's the further number of clothes to have in your closet? You could say two pieces of clothing, one which is clean and the other which is being washed. Hmm? What's the further number of shoes to have? What's the further type of transportation to have? Maybe a bicycle, a motorcycle, or maybe the smallest, cheapest, oldest car. So when it comes to dunya, we don't have this attitude that I'm only going to do what's further, what's absolutely critically mandatory required of me. So is it only about being that we have this attitude in life? Is it only about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're only going to do what's fard? Right? When the whole deen is the purpose of our life. <laughs> Allah ta'ala is the purpose of our life. We live for deen. So if you want to be balanced, balance means you realize your full potential in dunya. So if Allah ta'ala Masala gave you admissions, gave you intelligence, go for it. Be the best you can be in the world. And... Attain your full potential in deen. Nobody thinks like that. Everybody says, I want to get admission to the best university that I can. I want to have the best supervisor that I can. I want to have the best internship that I can. I want to have the best job that I can. I want to marry the best spouse that I can. I want to live in the best house that I can. I want to be in the best neighborhood that I can. I want to have the best schools for my children I can. And you should do all of that within the halal. However, when are we going to be balanced and start thinking, I want to have the best taqwa that I can. I want to pray the best salah that I can. I want to make the best dua that I can. I want to have the best haya that I can. I want to have the best adab that I can. The best akhlaq that I can. The best sabr that I can. We don't hold ourselves to that standard. When it comes to the world, we hold ourselves to a standard, a quality. Which is good. Deen teaches that. Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu That Allah Ta'ala has prescribed virtuous excellence and nobility and the creation of beauty and everything. So you should do that. But why did you leave your deen out? <laughs> why did you leave the deen out? When is a person going to think like that? People aren't interested. They think somehow that whatever level I'm deen on, it's good enough. 
if somebody starts thinking like that, but the dunya they say, no, you should be working, improvement, progress, development, promotion. Why are you content with where you are in the dunya? They say, something wrong with you. They say, there's a problem with this person. They're not motivated. They're underperforming. They're underachieving. There's a whole list of words. But that's true about our deen. <laughs> We're not motivated in deen. We're underperforming in deen. We're underachieving in deen. What's going to happen on the Day of Judgment? Hmm? All the achievements and accomplishments and attainments of this world are going to be buried with us in the grave. Can you imagine this tragedy? That a person attained and achieved and accomplished and was well off and was rich in the world and they show up on the Day of Judgment a pauper in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We say in Urdu, dunya mein amir or akhirat mein fakir. That they had high quality standard in the world and they have a very low quality standard of akhirah because they had a very low quality of their deen. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw some of his incredible sunnah, he taught sahaba to do both. This is nur ala nur, to excel in dunya and excel in deen. This is the teaching of our deen. Not to excel in dunya and be lackadaisical in deen, be motivated in dunya and be lazy in deen. Come to every meeting of the world on time and miss your meetings of Fajr with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not, that's not balance. Nobody can think like that, that I'm balanced. That's imbalance. To beautify your outward for the sake of creation and not to beautify your inward for the sake of the creator. Hmm? If we think any creations are going to be looking at us, we start beautifying. We wash our face, we dress up, we iron clothes, women may within reasonable limits, if it's other women or their husband looking at them, they wear makeup, jewelry. We beautify our outward for the sake of creation and we don't beautify our inward for the sake of the creator. Is that balance? We've lost our identity. <laughs> that ummah to whom Allah Ta'ala gave the greatest identity, we've lost that identity. We've lost who we are. We're just going with the flow like everybody else. Happy go lucky. Allah Akbar. They call them blissfully ignorant. Blissfully ignorant. Some of you may be wondering, huh? This is pretty intense, huh? <laughs> also, the problem is that I don't know when I'll ever see you again. So, in our tradition in Pakistan, for example, when you have a guest and they come to your house and you don't know if they're going to come again, so you make like 10, 15, 20 dishes and you try to put more and more on their plate and you try to keep feeding them, keep feeding them because you never know when they're going to be your guest again. Yeah, so in one sense, you think I'm your guest, you're my guest. <laughs> you're my guest. And there's so much to talk to you about and I have one and a half hours and I don't know if I'm going to ever see any of you again and you don't know if you're ever going to see me again. Hmm? But Dean is intense. Dean is intense. Sometimes people think no, Dean is moderate. So let me explain to you this way. Let's look at Akhirah. Is there any moderation in Akhirah? No way. <laughs> Jahannam is an intensely devastating place. Jahannam, hell, it's not a moderately bad place. Jahannam is an extremely, intensely, devastatingly painful place. Let's look at Jannah. Jannah is not a moderately nice place. Jannah is an extremely, absolutely, amazingly, incredibly, delightful, wonderful, eternal bliss. So all of Akhira is going to be one of two extremes, two intensities. So Deen is intense. Deen is intense. There is no moderation. 
There's balance. Yes, that I told you. Absolute excellence in dunya and absolute excellence in deen. No moderation. If you were moderate in dunya, I would be upset with you also. If you had the opportunity that mashallah, you are in Norway, you have intelligence, you have access to education, and you don't get it, and you don't strive, you would be failing your deen. And there's so many Muslims that don't have this opportunity. You know what percentage of Muslims have access to tertiary, which is university education? It's less than 15% of Muslims globally will ever get a chance to get a university degree. So this is an incredible responsibility on you. It wasn't a right. This is a gift from Allah SWT. It's a responsibility. You must excel in that. But you also have to excel in deen. So it's intense. It's two intensities. Allah Ta'ala demands excellence. Allah Ta'ala demands that we strive. No person, no human will have anything except that they strive for it. The difference between us and the Salihin believers, Muttaqeen believers, is in addition to striving and attaining in this world, they also strive for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They also excelled in their iman, in their taqwa, in their tawakkul, in their love for Allah Ta'ala, fear of Allah Ta'ala, haya, salah. They prayed salah like they felt it. They didn't pray because they have to. They prayed because they wanted to. They didn't pray out of obligation. They prayed out of passion. They worked out of passion and they prayed out of passion. That's called deen. When the ummah gets people like that, then see how the ummah becomes. We've lost people like that. We don't longer have that. Either we have people who excel in dunya, they don't excel in deen, or we have ones who excel in deen, they don't excel in dunya. So the university Muslim has the unique ability. You are that group of the ummah who can excel in both. You are that group of the ummah that must excel in both. Otherwise, there won't be any barakah. I was telling you, I taught in Pakistan for six years, and alhamdulillah, I've been there for about 15 years now, and the universities keep getting better and better every year. Alhamdulillah, there are more universities, larger departments, better professors, more PhDs coming back. But, the society hasn't changed. Every year there are at least 100,000 university graduates that are injected into society. So let's take my 10 years there, 1 million university graduates injected into society. It's not changing. Because <laughs> there's no barakah. There's no barakah. There's no taqwa. There may be a society of mu'mineen, we're not a society of muttaqin. There may be 1.2 billion mu'mineen in the world, but how many muttaqin are there in the world? How many salihin are there in the world? That's when things change. The glory of Islamic civilization happened when the majority of mu'mineen were muttaqin. Majority of mu'mineen were salihin. And once we lost that, our asl, our real identity, we lost everything. We lost everything. Now, these were the identities of being a human in son. And then there's another identity, which we should also aspire to, obviously, which is that of being a mu'min. Right? One is to be human. We have to be faqir and abd. And now we have to take it to another level. What is, what's the identity of a believer? What does it mean to be a mu'min to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? First thing, which is the most important thing, because only Allah ta'ala has the right to tell us who alladhina amanu are. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُمَّا لِلَّهِ That those who have iman, they're extremely intense in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Again, even the word is intense. Ashad. Even more than shidda. Ashad. Those who believe are extremely intense in their love for Allah. This is what it means. This is the identity of a believer. So, abd, fakir, and now third, lover. Muhib, ashik, lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what we are. If we don't feel the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our heart, it means we don't truly have iman. We have nafsa iman, we have the ingredient of iman, alhamdulillah, we're not in disbelief, but we don't have the attributes of iman, the feelings of iman. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ The believers, those who believe, are the ones who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The ulama of Tafsir, they wrote a very interesting thing. In many places in Quran, Allah ta'ala uses a slightly different phrase, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا He says, O oh, you who believe, and then he tells them to do something. In the whole Quran, Allah ta'ala never says this, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَحِبُّ اللَّهِ That, O oh, you who believe, love Allah. And they say, why? This, I'll just say it once in Urdu. It's going to help me translate it. I'll say it once in Urdu and I'll say it in English. <laughs> Alright? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ne kabhi muhabbat karne ka hukam nahi diya. Is liye kyunki mu'min ki sifat hi ek Allah se muhabbat karna. Allah ta'ala ko sajta nahi ki hame hukam dehe ki unse muhabbat karna. In English it means that Allah ta'ala nowhere in the Quran is He commanded believers to love Him. Because believers themselves by definition are lovers. <laughs> So there's no need to command them. And it doesn't befit Allah Ta'ala to tell anybody that they have to love Him. So here Allah Ta'ala didn't say, Ya Amnu. He said, Amnu. And the believers, who are they? They're the ones who intensely love Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So it means the love for Allah Ta'ala is the master identity, the master attribute of the believer. Now that love for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is a whole separate topic, Right? So we did it for some of the people in the masjid earlier today. Love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a feeling. It's a passion. It's a craze. It moves a person. Love is that emotion. Love is the strongest of emotions. Love is that notion that overwhelms a person. Overrules a person. Overrules the nafs. The nafs has desires, but it doesn't make that believer sin. Because they're overwhelmed by love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have ashad. They have extremely intense love. So if they feel a bit of desire, they feel a bit of lust, they feel a bit of anger, it's superseded by the intensity of the love they feel for Allah. That's their identity. How do we know if we have love for Allah subhanahu wa Again, a perfect place to look is our salah. Because when does the love really come out when the lover is alone with their beloved? Love really comes out when the lover is alone with their beloved. So what is salah? Salah is when we do inkitan al-khalq, we cut, sever ourselves from creation. You can't even reply to salam in salah. <laughs> That's how much you're supposed to disconnect. Salah is when you go to complete disconnect from the world and all that it contains. Why? Because you're supposed to be 100% connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the, I mean not to use, it's a Christian term, but communion. This is the time when you're communicating, you're being with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is salah. You're actually speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, just check our salah. Just look at the quality of your own salah and then you'll know whether you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't know what they're doing because I don't know Norwegian. 
But you should just focus on me. If you're touching me, I can turn this thing off also. Yeah. Sorry, sit down. 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 If you want to know if you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look how much you love Him during the act of love, during the expression of love. And like I said, people say, I don't feel anything in my salah. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Imagine there's somebody who says that I can't taste sweetness anymore with my tongue. I can still taste hot and cold. I can still taste sour and bitter. But I can't tell if something sweet. I eat the sweet, I eat sugar even. I put honey in my tongue and I can't taste the sweetness. So what will you say? You'll say that person's sick, right? And that person will go to a doctor. And the person will go to a doctor and say, look, doc, I have this problem. My tongue cannot taste sweetness. If the doctor can't cure them, they go to a second doctor. They go to a third doctor. They may try a homeopath. They may try herbal medicine. They may go to a Chinese acupuncturist and say, put needles in my tongue. Somehow restore the ability of my tongue to taste sweetness. Just like that, Allah Ta'ala has made every single organ of a human being, every single sense, has a pleasure. So Allah Ta'ala has given the pleasure to an eyes. People like to see beautiful scenery, mashallah, in your country. When you fly in, it's quite a nice view huh, from the airplane. So people like to stare at beautiful scenery, beautiful valleys, beautiful lakes. There's a pleasure of the eyes. Allah has given a pleasure to the ears. If you listen to a heartfelt recitation of Qur'an, it's a person who knows the meaning of what they're saying, and they feel the feelings while they're reciting. That is such a beautiful sound. It may be one of the most beautiful sounds on earth. Allah has given the ears a sense of pleasure. Allah has given her nose a sense of pleasure, right? So many perfumes and fragrances and ether. You're all aware of that. Allah has given our tongue a sense of pleasure, different tastes and delicacies and flavors, right? Allah has given our tongue a sense of pleasure. Some people may like velvet, they may like silk, right? Infinitely more than all of infinite, infinitely more than all of these pleasures is the delight and pleasure Allah has given a heart. But that's not to be found in the sights and sounds and smell of this world. The lazza, the pleasure of the heart is to be found in ibadah. So then if a person who can't physically taste the sweetness of sugar is considered sick, then that person who says, I don't feel the pleasure of salah, why don't they call themselves sick? Isn't that also sick? In fact, you poured the whole bottle of honey of wudu, then you poured a whole kilo of sugar called surah fatiha, then you poured a whole ton of honey called sajda, and you still couldn't taste the sweetness of salah? Hmm? What's the worst thing that happen if a person's physically sick? What's the worst that can happen? Physical cancer? What's the worst that can happen? You could die, right? You could die of an illness. Death is unavoidable. What's the worst that happens if a person is spiritually sick? Spiritual cancer. What happens if a person has spiritual cancer? What if they lose their iman? Then what happens? They'll go into jahannam. That's avoidable. Jahannam is avoidable. Death is unavoidable. So spiritual illness is more critical than physical illness. If a person prays Salah and says, I don't taste the sweetness of Salah, I don't feel love for Allah Ta'ala in my Salah, that's a spiritual cancer. That's a spiritual cancer. We need to get cured. We need to try. We don't even try to fix it. Allah Ta'ala said in the Quran, وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةِ لِلْذِكْرِ 
that established the prayer for my vicar, for my remembrance. So this is one way to check. Am I the love? Do I have this identity of being the lover of Allah Ta'ala or not? How much love do I feel during the act of love? Ibadah is the act of love. The first identity was Abd. Second identity was Fuqir. Third identity is Muhib, lover of Allah SWT. There's a fourth identity, even more beautiful. Allahu Akbar, this is the mercy of Allah Ta'ala. Our identity is also, in addition to being Allah Ta'ala's lover Muhib, we are the Mahboob of Allah SWT. We are the beloved of Allah SWT. The Murad of Allah SWT. Many people think that in Islam, the highest level is to become the beloved of Allah Ta'ala. Like that's the end, right? That's the ultimate end to become Mahboobullah. Now let me show you this mercy Allah Ta'ala said in Quran. No, it's not the end. It's the beginning. The beginning of Iman is that you becoming the beloved of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Allahu waliyulladhina amanu. Allah Ta'ala is the wali of those who believe. Allah Himself is the friend. Ulama Tafsir wrote that, Ya Allah, you should have written, Walladhina amanu awliyaullah. That those who accept Iman, they befriend you. No, no. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Allahu waliyulladhina amanu. Allah Ta'ala befriends those who believe. Allah Ta'ala is the wali of those who believe. Another verse Allah Ta'ala said, Wallahu waliyul mu'mineen. Allah Ta'ala is the wali of the believers. Let me show you now more, word for word. What was the word I told you? That we are mahboob, right? That Allah Ta'ala loves us. Even before we love Him. Yes. Allah Ta'ala loves us even before we love Him. The beginning of Iman, the second we take Iman, we are mahboob to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, Yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbunahu Yuhibbuhum Allah loves them Yuhibbuhum Allah loves the believers Wa And Yuhibbunahu The believers love Allah First Allah mentioned His love Means this is our fourth identity We are the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala How can you imagine what a big tragedy That Allah ta'ala already loves us And we still don't love Him hmm? This is the essence of being. Learn to love that Allah Ta'ala back who already loves you. <laughs> Allah loves them and they love Allah. But the whole summation of deen is in this sentence. Our deen is a deen of love, a deen of lovers, a deen of beloveds. Love that Allah Ta'ala who already loves you. Proof that He loves you, your Allah Dina Amanu is proof. That's it, it's enough. <laughs> You've been selected for Iman. Today a person gets selected for something in this world, they get so happy. You get selected for admissions. You wear the t-shirt of the university. You put the bumper sticker of the university. You're so happy you were selected. Or if you give an interview at a job, you're selected for the company, you get so happy. If you're a person who plays sports, you're selected for the team, you get happy. Oh, we were selected by Allah for Iman. None of us earned it, none of us deserved it. Even if you accepted Islam in your maturity, a quote-unquote convert, even then it was a selection. Allah Ta'ala selected you. Allah Ta'ala loves us. Can you believe that? Can you believe the beauty of this Quran? Look at this philosophy of humanity. Compare this to secular humanism. Hmm? 
A secular humanist, who can he become the beloved of? Huh? Maybe at most some other human being. Quranic humanism, that the alladhina amanu are the beloveds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's our fourth identity. Abd, faqir, muhib, lover, and mahbub, we are the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala is our wali. He is our friend. Another way you can explain this Arabic is we are murad. This is a bit of a very fancy thing in Islamic theology, but it's such a beautiful concept, I'm going to try to explain this to you. We are the murad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? Allah ta'ala says in Quran, Fa'alun lima yurid. He describes himself fa'al. Uh, fa'alun lima yurid means Allah ta'ala ultimately does whatever it is that he intends. Allah ta'ala ultimately does whatever it is that he intends. Alright. So he gifted you and me with iman, right? That wasn't an irada, that wasn't a will of Allah ta'ala that took place in time. Because his sifat irada is timeless. What does that mean? For all of past eternity, for pre-eternity, for negative infinity, me and you have been the murad of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala has wanted us to be a believer. Ya Allah. What does that mean? That learn to love that Allah Ta'ala back, who has already been loving you for billions and zillions and zillions of years. Not that He's just loved you since the moment you were born. The murad of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala explains in Qur'an that He created our ruh, right? All the human arwah, all the human ruhs, all the human souls and spirits. And then He gathered every single human ruh in a grand assembly. Every ruh, right from Sayyidina Adam to the last human being who will ever walk the face of this earth. And He addressed them. There was a dialogue. It's in Qur'an. Allah Ta'ala asked every human ruh, Alastu bi rabbikum. That am I not your Rabb? Am I not your Lord? Am I not your nurser, your sustainer, your provider, your caregiver? And then, every single human rule, Alu, all of the human souls responded, Bala. Yes, Allah, we affirm that you, Allah, are our Rabb. Means Allah Ta'ala already made us love struck with Him. <laughs> yes, at that moment, our Ruh got to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In whatever sense, and Allah knows best what that is, that our root perceived Allah Ta'ala. And we said, yes, Allah Ta'ala, you are our Rabb. And this happened billions and billions of years ago. To put it very simply to you, the root that's inside me and you and everyone has a root, your root goes back to even before the Big Bang. Yes, because before Allah Ta'ala created this physical universe and all that it contains, He created the human root. So why do we even need to believe in that history of the world that begins with the Big Bang? When we ourselves are older than the Big Bang. Yes, the rue inside you is older than the Big Bang. <laughs> now, let's accept. Because we have no problem. Islam is completely fine with the Big Bang. And I can't even remember now how many billions and billions of years that happened. That's why I told you. Where do you think your rue has been? Hmm? From that time until you were born. So let's say you were born 1975. Where has your rue been on that time? Your ruh has been existing, was existing in a state of belovedness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's where your ruh was. For billions and billions and billions and billions of years, your ruh was simply being the beloved of Allah ta'ala, and then it entered your body on earth when you were in the womb of your mother. So if we've been the beloved to Allah ta'ala for billions of years, 
Can't we learn to love him for one WHO life expectancy, 72 years life? Hmm? And then, now look, that's pre-eternity, right? Your rule was created in time, but the intention to create your rule, the irada to create your rule, Allah Ta'ala has had that for past forever. Now let's look at the future. Now if you ask the uncle, logic will tell you that no living forever immortality, that should only befit Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says no. <laughs> you are going to live forever also. The human will also live for eternally. The difference is that Allah Ta'ala will exist for eternity on His own will and power. And we will exist due to the hukam of Allah Ta'ala. We won't have any life force of our own. But Allah Ta'ala wills us to live for eternity. Therefore we will live. But that's a minor point, right? The fact is we're going to live forever. Right? What does Allah Ta'ala want? In what type of condition does He want us to live forever? Allah Ta'ala addresses all of humanity in Quran. Wallahu yad'u ila daris salam. Allah Ta'ala is inviting, calling everyone for the eternal, everlasting abode of peace. So this is all for identity. That for past, forever, Allah Ta'ala willed to create us and willed to select us for iman. Billions of years ago, Allah Ta'ala made our ruh. And He loved that ruh from the time He created it up till now. For future forever, Allah Ta'ala wants us to exist as His beloved. What an incredible idea of humanity. Huh? Who wants to give this concept of humanity up? For an atheistic, scientistic, sterile, sanitized understanding of what the human being is. This deen is incredible. Just the philosophy, the understanding, I don't call it philosophy, but the concept of humanity that Allah Ta'ala has articulated in Quran is astounding. It's amazing. To be so beloved. Hmm? Let me tell you another thing, you know. Sometimes people tell each other in this world, you know, that where do you put all that love I give you? Does it go in your pockets? So have you asked your question? All this love that Allah Ta'ala had for us, this rule that He let us look upon Him, He told us He was our Rabb, He loved it for billions of years. All this love He wants to give us for forever. Where is it going to go? It's going to go in your heart. <laughs> all that love for Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is going to be addressed and come into your kalb. And now you want to give that heart to some unlawful lust and romance in this world? That heart that Allah Ta'ala has selected for iman to make that heart His eternal beloved. Do you want to give that heart away? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. What are we doing? <laughs> we don't understand what we are, who we are, what we were made, why we were made, what we were made for, what's our purpose? We weren't created to get involved in the petty, unlawful loves of this. True love, nikah, that's fine. There are many loves Allah Ta'ala has allowed. In fact, He wishes, in fact, He loves that we have those loves. But this outside nikah, before nikah, unlawful, lustful romance, this heart wasn't given to us for that. <laughs> the heart wasn't given for that. It's not ours. This whole thing is an amana. Our whole body is a trust from Allah subhanahu wa But how many Muslims are caught up in the sin? Of lust and romance. Hmm? Notwithstanding their education. Huh? Notwithstanding their sophistication. Notwithstanding that they live in the richest country in the world. Allah gave them so many bounties and blessings. Allah Ta'ala showering His blessings on them. And still they give the heart away. Hmm? Have you ever seen such an untrue lover? To such a true lover? Hmm? Can you imagine the depth of our disloyalty? If somebody betrays their wife of 20 years 
people will say, oh, you did a terrible thing. You did an awful thing. She was your, and it's true, she was your loyal lover for 20 years and you betrayed her. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest of lovers, the truest of lovers, the most loyal of lovers. He's our Rabb. He gave us every single thing we have. And He wants to give us eternity. And we betray Him by giving our heart to some unlawful luster woman. Can you fathom the level, the magnitude of that betrayal? Can you imagine what it is? Allah ta'ala gave us these eyes. So that in Jannah we could see Sayyidina Rasulullah Allah gave us these eyes so that in Jannah we could gaze upon Him. For how long? For eternity. And we want to betray Him by using these eyes to look at something for a few minutes and betray Allah SWT. What's the matter with us? We're not, we're not supposed to be victims of this technology and propaganda and marketing and advertising. We're not supposed to be your movement. You have an identity. Your identity is so strong, none of that corporate advertising waves should be able to shake you. But we forgot our identity. We forgot who we are. We forgot why we exist. We forgot what purpose we have. We forgot our future. We forgot our past. Can you imagine what type of creation that is, that his future is Jannah, and his past is his rule was being taken care of by Allah Ta'ala for billions of years? Can you imagine the value of that life? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah We don't need any isms We don't need any man-made ideologies Our deen has given us a robust concept of humanity Our deen has told us the purpose of life The mission of life, the vision of life The reality of life You have a fifth identity Ab, Fakir, Muhib, Mahbub, Murad. We have a fifth identity also very beautiful identity. And that is we're ummati. We're a member of the ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ahmad al-Mustafa, Muhammad al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is also an incredible honor. An azaz, a sharf. Such an incredible honor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First from all of creation, He made us insan. From all of insan, He gave us iman. And from all of the believers to exist in the history of the world, he made us from the ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah This is an identity. It's, that's part, it's part of kalima. It's part of shahada. Shahada is incomplete. Somebody says, La ilaha illallah. They don't say Muhammad Rasulullah incomplete. Not accepted. They say, no, I believe in Tawheed. I believe in one Allah. I'm no longer an atheist. I believe in God. You have to believe in Sayyidina Rasulullah Not accepted if you don't say the second sentence. He said, no, I'm a theist now. I believe. I believe in God. You must believe. You must say, Ashadu'anna Muhammad Rasulullah. It's a part of the identity. It's part of our iman. It's a very big thing. What what do I mean? Why am I calling this identity? Accepting somebody as our Nabi. This is a very major thing to do. It means he's the imam of our life. He's the imam of our heart. What he does, we want to do. The way he looked, we want to look. The way he talked, we want to talk. The way he felt, we want to feel. The way he interacted with others, we want to interact in the same way. The fikr, the concern he had for believers, we want to have the same concern. The concern he had for all of humanity, we have to have the same concern. The way he was, that's how we want to be. That's called accepting somebody as a Nabi. We don't have that in our life. 
Many people, days, weeks, months go by and they never even think about the Prophet They don't even think about this, that I am his Ummati and he is my Nabi. They don't even pause to reflect that what is the Takaza, what does that require of me? What am I supposed to do now that I've accepted him as my Nabi? It's not on their horizon. It's not part of their life view. Again, secular humanism teaches what? You don't need prophets. You don't need any prophet. You don't need a prophet. You don't need the prophet. That's what they teach. No, no, no. We're not like that at all. We're not spiritual orphans. We need, all human beings need Anbiya. Every human being was sent a Nabi from the Anbiya. This is the way Allah Ta'ala operates. And we need Sayyidina Rasulullah We need his Sunnah, we need his Seerah, we need his Sahaba, we need his Adab, we need his Akhlaq, we need his Sifat, we need his manners, we need his feelings, we need his attributes, we need his character, we need his example, we need his teachings, we need his feelings. But we're not getting it. We're not chasing it. We're not making it happen. This is a major identity. Major identity. It's like you can imagine it's a sense of belonging. I belong to the Ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah. Once I have that belonging, I don't need any other belonging in the world. You know, this Arabic word itself is amazing. Just the word. Just this word, Ummati. The word Ummati has two meanings in Arabic. Because it's actually two words. The first meaning of Ummati means a person of the Ummah. Right? Like Lahori would mean a person from Lahore. Uh, Grimstadi. <laughs> would be a person from Grimstad. Alright? Yes? So the Ya comes for Nisbat. Alright? Baghdadi means person from Baghdad. So Ummati means a person of the Ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah. But the Arabic word with the same letters, Ummati, you can have another word. Ya also sometimes means mine. Like Kalami, my pen. Kitabi, my book. So Sayyidina Rasulullah used to use this word in dua. He used to make dua, Ya Rab, Ya Rab, Ummati, Ummati, my Ummah, my Ummah. That's part of our identity. That I am one of those human beings who the greatest human being, Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make dua for in the night. That's part of our identity. Can you imagine that? You know how lucky we are? <laughs> When he used to make that dua, Ya Rab, Ya Rab, Ummati, Ummati, and he was so moved, he couldn't even make a sentence. He couldn't actually say, Allah knew what was in his heart. He was just pleading with Allah, My Ummah, My Ummah, means forgive my Ummah, guide my Ummah, protect my Ummah, save my Ummah, right? Me and you are that Ummah. <laughs> Me and you are the murad of the Prophet His irada at that moment was everyone all the way till the end of time who will be his ummah. That's an incredible relationship. Hmm? Today if somebody tells you they make dua for you, you get touched, right? If a friend says, you know, last night I made dua for you by name. You say, oh, <laughs> you're so nice. That was so kind of you. You made dua for me. Let's say if it was a poor pious person, you get even more touched. Let's say it was your mother, you know, mother's duas are accepted, you get more touched. Oh, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the most greatest beloved to Allah Ta'ala, 
He made dua for us, you can imagine like it by name, because we're, this is our name, where is enmity. He made dua for us, not once, not twice. Allahu Alam, He made dua thousands and thousands and thousands of times. That's an identity. And I have somebody's duas behind me. I have somebody's good wishes behind me. I have somebody's model in front of me. This is a major identity. That's why it's very important to assert this identity. To be proud of this identity. To revel in this identity. Why do we want to hide this identity? Some Muslims have a strange thing. Especially when they live in the West. I don't think, I was born and raised in New York, alright? So I know what it means to live in the West. Alright? New York is like the <laughs> imam of the West. <laughs> alright? Why do you hide your deen? We don't want to suppress our deen. We're not embarrassed of deen. We're not embarrassed of sunnah. This is our honor. This is our sharf. This is our glory and greatness. That we're a member of the Ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah And we should be scared that if I choose to deliberately make myself unrecognizable as a Muslim in this world, what if Allah Ta'ala accepts this intention and raises me on the Day of Judgment unrecognizable as a Muslim? If today all the Muslims walk past me and they can't tell, right? They don't know if I'm an Indian Hindu or a Pakistani Muslim. They can't tell if I'm a a Ukrainian Christian or a Bosnian Muslim, if I've chosen to be like that, that I cannot recognize as a Muslim in this world, what if Allah Ta'ala accepts this intention of mine? And the Day of Judgment, Sayyidina Sosam walks right past me. Oh, what come on? Hmm? Oh, we are from the Ummah, Nabi Kareem Sallallahu He has a Sunnah. We are his Ummah. We are proud. Secularism teaches you don't wear religion on your sleeve. And they wear their corporate logo on their sleeve. Huh? Hmm? That's their identity. They wear their corporate logo, literally even. And they wear their corporate logo on their sleeve. They have logos, branding, marketing. Hmm? And they want to tell us, don't wear religion on your sleeve. No, no, this is our logo. This is our branding. We are from the Ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah We're not embarrassed of it. We don't deny this identity. Embrace your identity. Love this identity. The most beloved thing to us should be our identity. But this is another great identity that we are ummati. So the last thing I will tell you for today is if a person does all these identities, let's say we do it. So we live a life like the fakir, needy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We live a life like an abd, a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> Submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Understand this very clear. The word Islam does not mean peace. The word Islam does not mean peace. The word salam in Arabic means peace. The word taslim means submission. The word Islam means peace through submission. Those who study Arabic, Islam is Babi Ifal, it's on the pattern of Ifal. Ifal means to create the root. So Islam means to create Salam through Taslim. Islam means to create and attain and achieve peace through submission. 
to get individual peace through individual submission to Allah Ta'ala. Peace in the family through family submission to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Peace in the Ummah through Ummah submission to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Global peace in humanity if humanity was to submit to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. The very name of our deen is teaching us submission. So if a person had that identity also, Abd, then let's say they have the third identity also, Muhib. They become the lover of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Like I told us a whole separate topic, separate lecture. I gave you a little bit of it. Let's say number four, they also become mahboob. They become the beloved of Allah SWT. Let's say they get fifth identity. They become ummati. <coughs> they become the true, sincere, loyal, loving follower of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. So what happens then? What happens? All these ingredients put together, what do you get? If you do these five identities, you get a sixth identity. Allahu Akbar Kameera. You get a sixth identity. And that is called Jannati. That is called Jannati. From Ahli Jannah. Everlasting happiness. Unlimited happiness. Eternal happiness. Eternal bliss. Eternal itminan. Serenity. Serendipity. Tranquility. Things that no words can describe. Feelings no mind can fathom. And it will last forever. It's that identity that is made up of these five identities. I will tell you then one, I can only tell you one thing about that identity. The greatest blessing of Jannah is the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. When Allah Ta'ala said, Quran, وَرِذْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٌ What did this mean? The pleasure from Allah Ta'ala is the greatest blessing. It means that when the people go into Jannah, then Allah Ta'ala will announce to them, that I am pleased with you and I will remain pleased with you for all of eternity. So that notion of being, getting the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala, the rada and ridwan of Allah Ta'ala is the greatest pleasure in Jannah. That's what Allah Ta'ala said. وَرِذْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٌ Alright. Second greatest blessing of Jannah is to see Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is called ru'ya. Ru'ya tibari ta'ala. The Gift Allah Ta'ala will gift us with this incredible blessing in Jannah that we will be able to see Allah in all of His beauty, in His glory, kama yuliq, sha'nu, as befits Allah Ta'ala's might and majesty. So then a question arises that okay, if in Jannah you get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then why in the world would you do anything else? Right? If in Jannah you get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and why in the world would you eat the fruits and enjoy the gardens underneath which rivers flow and enjoy the mansions? And there would be nothing else you would want to do, right? So the ulama have answered this in a beautiful way. And these are those ulama that are known as awliyaullah. They have understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala says in Quran, Al-Rahman. He proclaims himself to be Al-Rahman, the all-merciful one. Then Allah ta'ala says, Fas'al bihi khabira. That if you want to know what it means that Allah ta'ala is Al-Rahman, Fas'al, go ask. Bihi khabira, that person who is deeply informed and aware what it means that Allah Ta'ala is all merciful. Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal was one of the great fuqaha muhaddithin of this ummah. And he used to keep the company of Abu al-Hashim, who was basically wali of Allah Ta'ala. He wasn't an alim. So his students asked him that, Oh Imam Ahmed, why do you go sit with him? And Imam Ahmed gave an incredible answer. He said, Ana alimun bi kitabillah. Ana Alimun bi kitabillah wa huwa alimun billah. 
I'm a scholar of the book of Allah. And he is a scholar of Allah. He is that person that Allah said in Quran is Khabir. So the awliyaullah, they explain this. Our mashaykh, they taught us that how, how would that work in Jannah? Why would anybody do anything else? So the way it works is there's one hadith, long hadith of the Prophet in which the assembly of the vision of Allah Ta'ala is described. To give it to you very briefly, Allah Ta'ala will gather at some point in Jannah, Allah knows best, He will gather all of the Ahl Jannah in a grand assembly. And then He will reveal Himself to them and they will get this bounty and blessing that they will get to see Allah SWT. And then one sahaba, he asked very sweetly, that, Ya Rasulullah how will we all be able to see? Because there will be so many of us. Huh? And he said, literally, he said, how we be peering over each other's heads? So Sayyidina Rasulullah that just like all of you can see the moon at night, right? And none of you are an obstruction to another. He says, it will be like that. Don't worry, nobody will be blocking anybody's view of us. This is like a brief interlude in the hadith. <laughs> the sahaba are such sweet people. Huh? They were ashik, they were wondering what's going to happen, I have to make sure I'm able to see. So then the question, how will it, how will people turn away? So the ulama mashaykh, they said that what happens is, is that Allah Ta'ala will manifest His jamal. He will show His beauty. And the believers will look at the beauty of Allah Ta'ala for millions, billions, zillions, whatever. There's no linear time engine. For whatever, eons and eons and eons. And then because Allah Ta'ala loves the people of Jannah, and He loves for them to enjoy the other pleasures of Jannah. So Allah Ta'ala is going to want them to turn away and go back to the other pleasures. But how will that happen? No believer would leave the vision of Allah Ta'ala and go do something else, right? And if Allah Ta'ala Himself stops showing Himself to them, then they, it would be against the karam, against the generosity of Allah Ta'ala. It would be against the sifat of being Al-Kareem, that He withdraws Himself. So His being Al-Kareem means He won't withdraw Himself. Believers being lovers, they won't withdraw themselves. So how will this end? So the ulama said, and then what Allah Ta'ala will do is He will then show His Jalal. He will show His Azmat. His attributes of being Al-Kahar, Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir. And that will be so awe-inspiring, the Al-Jannah won't be able to look at that. And when Allah Ta'ala starts manifesting His attributes of might and power and grandeur, Dul Jalali wal Ikram, then the people of Jannah, they will look down and they will go back to doing what they're doing. And this will also establish that even for Jannah, Allah is Allah and creation is creation. So there's no union. There's no incarnation. Allah is Allah, creation is creation. And then again the believers will go back in doing whatever they do in Jannah. And then again Allah Ta'ala will gather them. And again Allah Ta'ala will let them gaze upon Him for billions and billions of eons. Then again Allah will show them His Jalal. And then again they will turn away. And they will remember Allah is Allah. And then again they will enjoy their pleasures. And then again Allah will call them. And they will keep doing this over and over and over and over again for all of eternity. That's our identity. That's the identity Islam offers to humanity. That your real asal identity is that you are Jannati. And proof that Allah Ta'ala wanted for everyone. Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, it's not just identity for believers. Allah Ta'ala wanted for everyone. Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, Ya ayyuhal insan. Remember I said, look at the verse of Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an. Ya ayyuhal insan. 
That, oh, humanity, what is the world has deceived you about your kind and loving Rabb? This ayah is addressed to the unbelievers. Allah Ta'ala is even reaching out to them, yearning for them. Even them, Allah Ta'ala wants to make them jannati. So he's calling out to them, Ma gharraka, bi rabbika. And those in Arabic, this is amazing. Rabbika means your Rabb. Allah Ta'ala is saying, I'm still yours. You haven't accepted me. I'm still Rabbika. I'm your Rabb. Look at the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at the love Allah ta'ala has for humanity. And the way Allah ta'ala says in Quran, Aina tadhabun. To the ones who reject him, where are you going? Allah, where are you going? Where have you turned away from me? Look at Allah ta'ala reaching out to humanity. So this is the asal. Allah ta'ala wants all humanity to be jannati. Wallahu yad'u ila daris salam. Send so many prophets, send the Quran. Calling humanity, calling humanity, calling humanity, sending his own hidayah. Allahu Akbar. So this is what it means to be a human. This is our identity. May Allah SWT accept us to live a life with this identity. May He raise us on the day of judgment with this identity. That when a caller calls, we are the ibadullah. We were his abd. We were his fakir. We were his muhib and lover. We were his mahbub, his beloved. May He raise us in the identity of the ummah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And may He ultimately and eternally grant us the identity of being jannati wa akhir da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We are shameful of our unfeeling prayers. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you put the feeling in our hearts, feeling of love for you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, feeling of zikr of you. We too want to pray prayers in which we remember you. Grant us the feeling of zikr in salah. Grant us the feeling of lazat in salah. Grant us the sweetness of salah, the pleasure of salah, the sweetness of ibadah, the delights of ibadah. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you protect us from all the unlawful delights of the world, the unlawful pleasures of this world. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we don't want the pleasures of the nafs Ya Allah, we want the pleasures of the kalb Ya Allah, we want the heartfelt pleasures Ya Rabbi Kareem And Ya Allah, we ask and we beg you Ya Rabbi Kareem To take out all the unlawful feelings from our heart Take out the unlawful love from our heart Take out the unlawful lust from our heart Take out the unlawful romance from our heart And Ya Rabbi Kareem, put the true love for you in our heart Fill our hearts with love for you Love for Quran Love for Deen Islam Love for Nabi Alayhi love for his seerah, a love for his sunnah, a love for his sahaba. And put in our heart a love for all of the siddiqeen, all of the sadiqeen, all of the ulama, all of the awliya, all of the muttaqeen, all of the salihin. Ya Rabbi Kareem, put in our heart a love for all of the mu'mineen. Ya Allah, unite us on this love, join us on this love, raise us on the day of judgment in this love. Ya Allah, grant us the feelings of iman. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have the words, we know the meaning, 
things. You'll have put the feelings in our heart. Grant us the feeling of taqwa, the feeling of ikhlas, the feeling of sabr, the feeling of shukr. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us the feeling of khawf and khashiyah. We need a heart that fears you, Ya Allah, that trembles in front of your might, that is afraid of your majesty. Ya Allah, so that we never sin, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we want to make tawbah to you. We beg you to forgive us, Ya Allah. We turn to you, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we ever did. Forgive us for our neglect. Forgive us for being negligent. Forgive us for being lazy. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us strong in our deen, steadfast in our deen, motivated in deen, dynamic in deen. Let us excel in deen. Ya Allah, when you gave us so many bounties and blessings of this world, Ya Allah, we are more needy of the blessings of Akhirah, Ya Allah. We are muhtaj, Ya Rabbi Kareem. We are fakir, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Grant us the hasanat of the Akhirah. Grant us the bounties of the Akhirah. Fill our book of deeds with deeds. Make us people of amal. Make us people of ibadah. Make us people of truth. Make us people of compassion. Ya Allah, Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us true followers of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Let us love every aspect of his sunnah. Beautify our outer forms with his sunnah. Beautify our inner form with his character. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us his true followers, his true legatees. Ya Rabbi Kareem, as good a Nabi he was to us, make us as good an ummati to him. Ya Allah, as wonderful a Rabb you are to us, we want to be a wonderful Ab to you. Make it happen, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Make it easy for us, Ya Allah. Remove the obstacles, remove the difficulties, remove the confusions. Ya Allah, soften our heart towards the deen, incline our heart towards the deen, fill our heart with the deen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, anyone here listening who has any difficulty in their life, remove their difficulties, Ya Allah. Ease their sorrows, Ya Allah. Grant them happiness in this world, happiness in akhirah. Ya Allah, put barakah in our day, barakah in our time, barakah in our studies, barakah in our earning, barakah in our wealth, barakah in our health and Ya Rabbi Kareem put barakah in our deen Ya Allah let every ibadah change us let every salah impact us let every dua change us Ya Rabbi Kareem enable us to follow and do amal on every ayah of Quran let us do amal on every hadith of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu on every one of his sunnah Ya Rabbi Kareem make us living deen feeling deen breathing deen yearning deen and Ya Rabbi Kareem protect us from all of the fitness in this world the facade in this world we live in a difficult age, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Accept our iman in your hifaza. Protect our iman, the iman of our loved ones, the iman of our dear ones, the iman of our children, of all of our descendants until Yom Middin. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, if there are friends or colleagues or professors or students or family members who have yet to discover you, Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your hidayah in their hearts as well. Introduce your mercy to them. Reveal your kindness to them. Let them feel your beauty. Ya Rabbi Kareem, they will be better believers to you than us. They'll be more loyal to you than us. And the shower your hidayah on them. Accept them for iman. Accept them for deen Islam. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make dua for the ummah. Send your special mercy on this ummah. Especially on the Muslimin, mutaasirin of this ummah. The downtrodden, oppressed of this ummah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, send them help where there is none. Be their guardian where they have none. Protect them when they have none. Guide them when they have none. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, accept us for the khidmah of this ummah. Make us people of khidmah, Ya Allah. People of service, Ya Allah. 
Allah, people of compassion, Ya Allah, soften this hard heart, revive this dead heart, make us people of feeling, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, we ask that you accept our du'as in this day. All of these people came, Ya Rabbi Kareem, seeking you, seeking your pleasure. Ya Allah, grant it to them, Ya Allah. Before we rise and return home, be pleased with us, be radhi with us, be happy with us. Be, ya Rabbi Kareem, accept us, Ya Allah. We have only our hearts to offer you. We have no great deeds that we have done. Ya Allah, we bring to you our broken heart, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Our heart that has been broken by the dunya. Our heart that has tried and failed at other things. Now we present our heart to you. Accept our heart, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Make us heartfelt mu'mineen. Rabbana takabbal minna innaka anta samiyul alim. Wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya الرحمن الرحيم <تصفيق> 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 <تصفيق>